day to be able to worship with you all today. Uh, if uh, you have your Bibles, you can open up with me uh, to begin with to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. Uh, we're going to look at that uh, in just, uh, just a moment. Uh, but in the year uh, 1231, uh, Pope Gregory the Ninth uh, appointed uh, the first papal o- officers uh, with uh, the title uh, Inquisitors uh, of Heretical Depravity. And these men uh, were instructed to, uh, to search out uh, heresy uh, among the, the Cathars of southern France. Uh, and, and thus began uh, with uh, that appointment of those officers uh, what became known as the Inquisition. Uh, which lasted for 700 years, uh, not only uh, taking place uh, throughout uh, European nations, uh, but also throughout all of the, the colonies uh, around the world uh, of those European nations. And the most well-known uh, of all of the, the inquisitions uh, began under the reign of uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand uh, of Spain. Uh, and this began in 1481, And it became known as the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, And that Inquisition uh, was not brief and fleeting. Uh, It actually lasted uh, 400 uh, years. Uh, It was finally done away with uh, in 1834. Think about that. Uh, And in 1834, it took a a, a royal decree uh, to abolish uh, the Inquisition in Spain. Uh, and we often think of inquisitions as something of uh, the past. Uh, and we also think of it primarily as something uh, that is religious in nature. Uh, but if we, we look at the, the heart of what an inquisition is, all right, in an attempt to, uh, to align and control uh, an individual's uh, thought life, right, to, to conform someone's uh, conscience uh, against their will, uh, we, we can see... Uh, that throughout history there have been many uh, inquisitions, uh, some of them driven by uh, religion, some of them driven by uh, political motivations. Uh, And uh, in his book, God's Jury, uh, The Inquisition and the Making of the Modern World, uh, author Cullen Murphy defines uh, an inquisition uh, in this way. He says it is a, a set of disciplinary procedures targeting specific groups, codified in law, Uh, and organized systematically, uh, enforced by surveillance, exemplified by severity, uh, sustained over time, backed by institutional power, and justified by a vision of the one true path. Uh, And what does the Bible say about uh, such inquisitions? Is is it appropriate uh, to force someone into uh, believing something? Does God want us to uh, impose our faith uh, upon anyone and everyone? Uh, And uh, related to this, what what does the Bible say to me uh, as I personally uh, may wrestle or or doubt uh, and uh, debate uh, something in my own heart? Right? Uh, Undoubtedly, uh, many of us uh, are wrestling right now uh, with some truth of Scripture. Some of us might be wrestling with a very small aspect of, of Christian doctrine. Now, others might be, be struggling with a, a more significant theological concept, such as the, the sovereignty of God. 
some of you might even be wrestling with your faith as a whole. You're debating with yourself about whether you should truly and completely trust Jesus in all things. And everything in God's Word uh, is inspired uh, and should be embraced as, uh, as being true. But we still have to come to a conclusion about it as individuals. We must uh, hear and assess and, uh, and consider all that is written in the words of Scripture, and then we have to make a decision. Uh, and uh, we have the, uh, the decision to make of whether we will accept it as uh, it is written and as it is uh, given to us uh, as the inspired Word of God or whether or not we will reject it. And both of those decisions have uh, results that will follow. And especially God's message of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, the message of the Gospel that Jesus uh, came as the Son of God, sent from heaven to live and die and rise again for the salvation of sinners. Uh, this, this message is, is to be proclaimed, but it's not to be uh, coerced and, uh, and forced upon anyone. If you're there with me in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, a chapter that is very near and dear to my heart, to, to begin in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And at the beginning of verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. That is how Paul went about his ministry, being controlled by the love of Christ. And then verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you, if you think about the language that is used there by the Apostle Paul, right? it says, uh, we, uh, we persuade people. Now, we appeal to their conscience. The, the love of Christ controls us. Uh, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And what do we do? We implore people. Uh, we, we beg them, we plead with them to be reconciled to God through Christ. Uh, ultimately, we are ambassadors. We are not inquisitors. Uh, and we have to remember that. Uh, a couple weeks back, uh, I uh, did an equipping hour class on, on the importance of our conscience uh, and, and not violating our conscience. Uh, and each and every one of us uh, must... Uh, understand the, the importance that, that we can proclaim spiritual truth, but we can't force anybody to receive it, which is hard, right? Especially as parents, because we want, we want to go that next step, not only in proclaiming, but also in enforcing the receiving. But we can't do that with our kids, and we can't do it with anybody else, uh, really concerning any uh, matter. 
Uh, but we must uh, proclaim the truth. And as Romans 14:5 says, uh, we must allow each person to be convinced in his own mind. Uh, we have to, to leave room and to leave space uh, for people to wrestle with the Bible, uh, to wrestle with who Jesus is, uh, to wrestle with all that he has taught and all that uh, he calls us now to be and to do. And, and this is uh, going to be shown to us in this passage that we're going to look at this morning in the end of John chapter 10. Now, we're going to see in this passage uh, uh, some individuals uh, who uh, are uh, coming to be fully convinced about who Jesus is. Uh, and this is a process that, that they themselves uh, had to walk through. Uh, no one else could, could force it upon them. Uh, uh, even though they, they had doubts and were debating among themselves for a time, I'm sure, uh, they had to be fully convinced in their own mind. And as we come to uh, verses 40 through 42 uh, in, in John chapter 10, uh, this is going to, to inform and, and teach us uh, how are we to approach Jesus when, when we have doubts, uh, when we are debating within our own hearts uh, about something. How are we to approach Christ? And as we come to these verses, uh, Jesus has just concluded uh, a very lengthy debate with his opponents uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, he has just condemned them uh, as being unjust human judges. Uh, He has said that they are not uh, judging rightly, uh, that they are being inconsistent. They have charged him with blasphemy. And we looked last Sunday at how Jesus dismantled their accusation. Uh, but also what we, what we saw in verses 37 and 38 uh, is that Jesus appealed uh, to truth uh, and the importance of being convinced and evaluating and considering uh, who he is and all that he is doing. Verse 37 in chapter 10, he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So Jesus points and appeals, consider everything that he has said and done. Make an evaluation and a conclusion. And then believe. That's what he called them to do. In verse 39, it says that they they sought to arrest him again and that he departed uh, from them. Uh, And and he left Jerusalem uh, and uh, the the temple uh, and, and he went out. Uh, And verses 40 through 42 is going to tell us where he went out to and what he did. You begin reading with me there. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. And what we're... What we're going to see in this passage is that there are many, there are, there are crowds of people coming to see Jesus out in the wilderness. And they're coming to, to see this man that they have heard so much about. Right? He's been uh, ministering among them for three years. They've heard something. And they've come out to this uh, wilderness to see him for themselves, to make a conclusion about who he is, to see what he is doing. And you and I must also consider who Jesus is. We can't go out into the wilderness to be able to see him in person. 
but we can go to His written Word to see and behold Him, to evaluate His claims, uh, to understand uh, who He says He is. But as we approach Jesus in His Word in this way, we, we, it's helpful to, to think through how are we to approach Him as we are considering His claims. How are we to draw near to Him? And as we look at these three verses, we're going to see three mindsets that, that every single person should put on as we approach Jesus. If we're going to consider His claims to be the Son of God, this is how we should approach Him. Uh, and uh, before we, we dive into these three mindsets, I would love to pause and, and pray and ask for the Lord to guide us in our study of His Word. Father, we come to You. Please help us now by the power of Your Spirit and, and, and illuminate our minds to behold the truth of Your written Word. Help us to understand what You have said to us here. And use Your Word now to put Christ on display. Show Him to us. Show us how we are to behold Him and ultimately to believe in Him. And may You use this time to instruct our minds, to encourage our hearts, and to magnify the name of Christ among us. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, the first mindset that we see uh, is in verse 40 and in the first part of verse 41. And we could put it this way, that we must approach Jesus seeking the truth. Uh, verse 40 says that he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained and many came to him. Uh, and again, as, as Jesus concluded this argument with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, uh, they were at the point of having enough of him. Right? They, they were ready to kill him. Even though they had seen his miracles, even though they had heard his teaching firsthand, uh, they, they accurately understood everything that he was saying and everything that he was doing. They understood that he was claiming to be the Son of God sent from heaven, that he was making himself equal with God. And this was blasphemous in their minds. That's why, uh, as we saw in verse 31, they picked up stones to kill him, to murder him on the spot. No, no trial, no judge, only executioners. That's what they were prepared to do. But Jesus rebuked them and then he departed uh, and he left the temple in Jerusalem and he went all the way uh, to the other side of the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is 20 miles east uh, of the city of Jerusalem, which is, again, is a, uh, you can write this down, a smaller application of God's word. When people are trying to kill you, it's okay to run. Uh, that, that is what Jesus does here when people are after you and, and they're unjustly uh, persecuting you, uh, and it's okay to flee. Uh, Jesus uh, did that here. Uh, and uh, verse 40 says uh, a specific location that he went to, and that he went uh, to uh, the place where, where John was first baptizing. Uh, and in, in, in bringing this back about, uh, John uh, the Apostle is kind of uh, circling around a full loop uh, of what has taken place uh, in John's Gospel. Uh, because uh, what we saw at the beginning of John's Gospel was John the Baptist uh, preaching and proclaiming about Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and that's where the, Jesus' ministry began. And now, uh, Jesus, uh, as his ministry is winding down, is back uh, where uh, his ministry began. 
And this would put Jesus right in the middle uh, of uh, the wilderness uh, between Galilee and the north uh, and uh, Jerusalem uh, and Judea in the south. Uh, And Jesus was not welcome in either of those places. Uh, He had worn out his welcome with the religious leaders, uh, and they were, again, ready to arrest him and to kill him. Jesus has about three and a half months left in his earthly ministry at this point in time. He knows if he goes into a major city, they're going to seize him and bring him to Jerusalem. Uh, And so he's out in the wilderness, uh, and that little phrase uh, that he, at the end of verse 40, and there he remained, is the idea that he, he settled down there. Uh, that, that is where he, he dwelled uh, during this last uh, few months uh, of his uh, ministry before going back uh, into Jerusalem uh, to be uh, crucified. Uh, and so Jesus is in, in no man's land. Uh, and verse 41 says, many came to him. You know, we, have to, we have to understand the geography because we have to, to understand that people didn't just happen to be walking along and say, oh, hey, Jesus is here. Maybe I'll just, you know, stop by for a second uh, and, and see what's happening. No, people came there intentionally to see him, right? This is upwards of a, a 10-mile walk from Galilee uh, and a 30 to 40-mile walk from Jerusalem, right? No one takes that long of a walk on accident uh, unless you really like hiking. But uh, the people were, were coming to him there. Uh, and what's not... Uh, explicitly stated here in the text, I think, is, is safely assumed. All right? Whenever Jesus was out and people were coming to him, what did he do? He taught them. He performed miracles. He healed. He cast out demons. All right? that, is, that is what attracted the people to him. They, they were coming uh, elsewhere in the Gospels. that said they would bring all of the sick in an area and Jesus would heal them. For hours, for days. That is what is taking place here. And ultimately, these people are making this long journey because they want to see Jesus for themselves. And if, he, if, he's, if a miracle worker was walking uh, around in Idaho for three years, uh, I, I would bet that we would all try and venture out to see him at some point, right? Uh, if, he, if he was here among us, and again, thinking about this, uh, we would all have, would have heard about that man as well. Uh, and this is what is taking place here in Israel. Many had heard many things about Jesus, and they wanted to see him for themselves. Uh, and uh, to a certain extent, there's, there's a natural human uh, skepticism uh, when we hear about uh, miracle workers, or, or we hear something of that nature. And, and sometimes it's good to have a healthy skepticism, right? Every, uh, every mom has that healthy skepticism when their son says, I've cleaned my room, right? What's the immediate thought that you think about? I'll believe it when I see it, right? And that's kind of the approach that uh, these people are are taking with Jesus. They've heard all of these things, but then they make the trek out there to actually see him. And we see this later on in John's Gospel, uh, when the risen Christ will appear to ten of his disciples. And who's missing? Slow to believe Thomas. We don't need to call him Doubting Thomas, but he's just slower to believe uh, than everybody else. Uh, And... And Thomas, at that moment, when he, when he missed seeing Jesus uh, the first time he appeared to the ten, he didn't just say, I won't believe it until I see it. This is what he said in John 20, verse 25. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger 
into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's not just an I'll believe it when I see it. That's I'll believe it when I see it and I can touch it. Right? There is a radical skepticism there, but ultimately, slow to believe Thomas, as soon as he sees Jesus, he does believe. He says, my Lord and my God. But, but what we see here in the, this verse uh, is that, that we have to be seeking and desiring truth. Uh, well, we have to be willing to, to search for it, uh, and that must be the standard uh, that we conform our lives to. Right? Going back to verses 37 and 38, Jesus said, Hey, if I'm not doing the works of God, you can just ignore me. Don't believe in me. Dismiss me. But if Jesus really is doing miracles in the name of God, if Jesus is who he says he is, we can't ignore him. We must align our lives with the truth. And whenever we approach Jesus, we must come to him in search of what is true. And then we must be willing to do what is hard. Right? Uh, to conform our lives to what He has spoken in His Word. You might be approaching Jesus for, for the very first time, seeking to understand who He is, uh, trying to, to, to grasp what He taught and what He did. Uh, and if you're, you're seeking Jesus and, and uh, evaluating Him for the very first time, you should be striving to understand what is true. And what is true about Jesus? And others might be approaching Jesus for the 10,000th time. And you already have trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and reconciliation with God. But, but you approach Jesus every single time with a desire for truth. And you're saying, uh, I want to know the truth and then I want to conform my life to the truth. Because many are, are willing to to approach Jesus, but then they don't want to conform to the truth. The easiest example of that is the rich young ruler uh, in the Gospels, right? He comes and says, what must I do to, to earn eternal life? Jesus says, okay, have you kept these commandments? And he says, oh yeah, got all of that. Check, check, check. And then Jesus decides to, to really hit uh, home uh, the young man's idol. He says, okay, go and sell everything that you have and come follow me. And the young man says, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. Says, as he went away grieving because he was one with much property. Right? He, he came into contact with the truth. He approached Jesus, found out the truth, and then what, did he, what was he unwilling to do? To conform his life to the truth. He approached Jesus, but he wasn't seeking truth. We have to approach Jesus, seek the truth, and then be willing to conform our lives to the truth that we find in Christ. And some of you might be thinking, well, well, how do I know that Jesus really speaks the truth about himself? Let alone what, that he speaks the truth about me or the world around me. Well, in, in this question, we, we come to the, the second mindset that we must put on as we approach Christ. The second half of verse 41. Now we must approach Jesus considering the testimony. Verse 41 says, And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. So these, these crowds of people who have come to see Jesus, 
uh, to, to seek the truth about him, uh, they, uh, they approached with that uh, first mindset. But then this second mindset is also necessary. Now that you must uh, seek uh, the truth and then you also have to evaluate uh, and come to a decision upon what is true and why it's true. Right? There must be an evaluation of uh, the evidence. Uh, and when it comes to approaching Jesus, there must be uh, a mindset that we uh, consider and evaluate all of the testimony that is given to us in Scripture about Christ. Uh, this, this crowd had come, uh, and they had considered everything about Him. Now, they would have considered His miracles. Uh, they would have considered uh, His message. Uh, his words and His works both demonstrate uh, that He is more than just a mere man, that he himself is the Son of God sent down from heaven. But they also here consider the testimony of others about Jesus. What have others said about this man who has come? And what is quoted in verse 41 shows that the people came to see Jesus because uh, they were at the place uh, where John the Baptist had begun his prophetic ministry. And and they were naturally uh, considering what John the Baptist had said about Jesus. Right, and, and evaluating Jesus according to uh, that, uh, those terms. Uh, and in the Old Testament, there were, there were two major ways that a prophet uh, could demonstrate that he was from God. Uh, number one would be to, to perform a miracle. Right? Uh, Moses performed miracles. Elijah and Elisha performed miracles. And they validated their ministry uh, as coming from God in that way. Uh, but there's another way for a prophet to, uh, to validate his ministry as coming from God, and that would be to, to accurately uh, predict the future. Uh, and this would be more along the lines of uh, Samuel and, and Jeremiah and, and Daniel. And after hearing the testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus, and after seeing Jesus for themselves, uh, we, we see the conclusion uh, that these people came to. Uh, that, that even though John the Baptist didn't perform any miracles. Right? They acknowledge that. John the Baptist didn't come uh, healing and, and dividing the sea uh, and casting out demons. He didn't do that, which also immediately places John the Baptist lower than Jesus. He didn't come performing miracles, but they, they make note of this. But they realize now, but everything that John the Baptist said about Jesus has proven to be true. Everything. And this authenticates John the Baptist as a true prophet, uh, but there's also quite a bit more to this, because then the question arises, well, what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? If they're saying all of it has come true, uh, let's turn back to to John chapter 1. When when John the Baptist came onto the scene, uh, what did he say? What was his testimony about Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 24. The Pharisees uh, had sent some representatives up to to question John the Baptist. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands uh, one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. 
And I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, On whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. What was John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus? This one is the the Lamb of God who is sent to take away the sins of the world. This one is the Son of God. This is going to be the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's a new covenant promise. This is the one who's going to usher in the new covenant. Later on in in John chapter 3, John the Baptist also said, He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist gave testimony concerning who Jesus is. and, And the conclusion that these people have made is that, man, his testimony was completely valid and true. Now, our, our United States court system uh, has a, a standard set of instructions that it uh, gives uh, through uh, judges uh, to juries as they prepare to uh, make deliberations uh, about a, a case. Uh, and those uh, instructions uh, lead uh, the judge uh, to give these guidelines uh, to the jurors concerning evaluating the, the testimony of witnesses. Uh, The judge would say, when I say you must consider all the evidence, I do not mean that you must accept all of the evidence as true or accurate. You should decide whether you believe what each witness had to say and the importance of that testimony. And in making that decision, you may believe or disbelieve any witness in whole or in part. So wise jurors, what do they do? They have to evaluate uh, the testimony of each and every witness uh, to see, does this demonstrate that it is true? Uh, is this person trustworthy? And the people here uh, have, have done that with John the Baptist. Uh, and they've realized, man, his, his testimony uh, is 100% accurate. Everything that he said about Jesus is true. Uh, and that means, dot, 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 that Jesus is the Son of God. Everything that John has proclaimed matches up with uh, who Jesus himself has proclaimed to be. Uh, And that is significant. That means something. And each and every one of us uh, is considered, uh, or it must consider the claims of Christ. Each and every person here has to come to a conclusion about who Jesus is. Uh, And here is something to remember. Our consideration of Jesus doesn't actually change who he is. Right? He is who he is. We're called to consider and make a conclusion uh, about who he is, but that doesn't change who he actually is. Just like a jury's consideration, right? They can declare uh, someone to be uh, guilty or not guilty, uh, but uh, their declaration doesn't necessarily change the reality of whether or not that person has actually committed that crime or not committed the crime. And what I mean by that, sometimes jurors get it wrong, right? Sometimes they say, uh, that somebody is innocent when they are actually guilty, and sometimes they say they're guilty when they're actually innocent. Uh, and so, uh, again, the jurors are called to come to a conclusion, 
to the best of their ability and to make a, a decision about someone's uh, testimony uh, and about their, their status. And each of us is called to do that with Jesus. Our, our considerations don't change who He is, but we are going to be evaluated uh, based upon our considerations. Right? He is the Son of God whether we acknowledge it or not. And every person on earth must consider the claims of Jesus and then make a decision whether or not they will trust in Jesus as the Son of God who lived and died and rose again on our behalf. Uh, And each person's conclusion, whatever decision that we make, uh, is going to be demonstrated to be true or false at the final judgment. Uh, And so we must invest time in this consideration. Uh, If you haven't already, uh, clear your schedule. Okay? Uh, this is worthy of your time. Now, if you are a, a, a parent, if you are one who is uh, pouring into and discipling others, uh, this is something that you, we, we must be doing on a regular basis. Uh, is again, not, not force-feeding our kids faith and pounding it into them. Right? Remember what I said about the Inquisition? Right? You, you're not going to be able to, to transform uh, your child's heart and mind. Only God is able to do that. So what we are called to do uh, is to constantly put forward the message of the gospel. Right? We are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ, not inquisitors. Uh, we throw the message out there and then we leave the results up to God and to that individual. And we constantly want to challenge and encourage people, consider Christ. You need to come to a conclusion. What will you say about Him? C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Right? It's not something just to say, well, when you get around to it. Maybe. No. This is of the utmost importance. Who is Jesus? What conclusion have I come to about what He has said? And what He is calling me to do and be is of the utmost importance in this life. And if we approach Jesus in His written Word, seeking the truth and considering all the testimony, we should arrive at the same conclusion that these people arrived at. leads us to our third mindset in verse 42. If we approach Jesus in this way, seeking the truth, And considering the testimony, the result should be faith. Verse 42 says this, And many believed in Him there. What a a short and sweet verse, right? This points to faith, to a response. They sought the truth, they considered the testimony, and the conclusion that they came to is that I need to Believe in Jesus. And, and that's a phrase that we, we use often, right? Believe in Him. But what, what does that mean? What, what does it look like? I love the way the theologian John Murray describes it. He says, Faith is a self-commitment to Christ. A transference of reliance upon ourselves and all human resources to reliance upon Christ alone for salvation. It is a receiving and a resting upon Him. 
Charles Spurgeon put it this way, that faith is weakness clinging to strength and becoming strong in so doing. Indeed, that is the very heart of faith in Christ. It means that we have have recognized our weakness. Well, we have rightly assessed that, even as Jesus has told us about ourselves. And then we see the strength of Christ. And we lean no longer upon ourselves, but now we cling to Him, and He is all our hope in this life. There's a, a very famous novel, uh, Robinson Crusoe, uh, written by uh, Daniel Defoe. And, and in that novel, uh, Robinson Crusoe uh, is, is shipwrecked uh, and stuck on an island for many years. Uh, spoiler alert there. But uh, he, he is in possession of a Bible for, for a long period of time on the island. Uh, and uh, over the course of his time there, uh, he, he gradually uh, turns uh, to Scripture. Uh, and he, he turns to Scripture in the same way uh, that these many people turn uh, to the wilderness to go see Jesus in person uh, and find out who He is. Uh, and this is what is, is written in Robinson Crusoe. This is the, the diary uh, of Robinson Crusoe. It says, In the morning I took the Bible and began at the New Testament. I began seriously to read it uh, and imposed upon myself to read a while every morning and every night not tying myself to the number of chapters, but long as my thoughts should engage me. It was not long after I set seriously to this work till I found my heart more deeply and sincerely affected with the wickedness of my past life. And the impression of my dream revived, and the words, all these things have not brought thee to repentance, ran seriously through my thoughts. I was earnestly begging of God to give me repentance. And when it happened providentially, the very day that reading the Scripture, I came to these words, He is exalted, a prince and a savior, to give repentance and to give remission. I threw down the book and with my heart, as well as my hands, lifted up to heaven in a kind of ecstasy of joy, I cried out aloud, Jesus, thou son of David, Jesus, thou exalted prince and savior, give me repentance. And this was the first time I could say in the true sense of the words that I prayed in all my life. For now I prayed with a sense of my condition and a true scripture view of hope founded on the encouragement of the word of God. And from this time, I may say, I began to hope that God would hear me. So it's a wonderful picture of faith. Amen. And that that realization of his own weakness, of his own sinfulness. A realization of the strength of Christ, of, of His own deficiency and Christ's sufficiency. That Jesus is the one that He needs. This is the, the repeated exhortation throughout the entire New Testament. Look to Jesus in faith. Your sin separates you from God. Your sin is wrecking and ruining your life. Look to Christ in faith. Abandon your sin. Turn away from it. It only will bring misery. And look to Jesus in faith. Because faith in Him leads to the forgiveness of sins. Faith in Jesus leads to the lifting of the burden of sin guilt. And that weight upon your shoulders whenever you think of your sin. Uh, that is the, the, the guilt that you bear for your sin. Now, you realize the weight of it whenever you approach God, right? 
And sometimes the weight of your sin keeps you from approaching God. But, but the message of the gospel is that in faith, if you look to Jesus, that guilt is removed and paid for on the cross. Faith in Jesus leads not only to forgiveness and the removal of our guilt, but it leads to a reconciliation with God. As you are no longer estranged from Him, you are no longer distant and far off, but you are now an intimate member of His family. Adopted in because of what Christ, our older brother and Savior, has accomplished on our behalf. This is what faith does. Brings about forgiveness. The removal of guilt leads to reconciliation. And that all means that then we are no longer handcuffed by shame for our sin. We no longer bear that because Christ bore the shame of our sin on the cross. Uh, If we believe in Jesus, this will be our experience. Uh, And many of us don't experience that. Even if we say that we have trusted Jesus in faith, we say, yes, I've, I've done that. But, but faith is not merely saying, yes, I've done that. Faith is actually trusting in those promises and living in accordance with them. Faith also means that you're going to uh, remember what Christ has done, and you're going to live in light of those promises of forgiveness and the removal of guilt and reconciliation, uh, and that we don't need to be handcuffed by shame. If we believe in Jesus, that will be our experience. But if, uh, if we are not experiencing that, uh, th- those are some, some warning signs that we are, we are not trusting in Jesus, but we are trusting in ourselves. Right? Which, by the way, th- that is our, our default settings as human beings. Right? Now, we come out of the womb ready to, to trust ourselves in our own sufficiency. That's why Christ is constantly calling us to no longer trust in ourselves, to, to renounce our self-improvement project, and to look to Him in faith. And whenever we are weighed down by sin and the results of sin, it, it's easy uh, to see that we are trusting in ourselves, not in Christ. So what do we do in those moments when we feel that, that burden and that, that weighing down? Well, the remedy is always and ever to look to Jesus. Whether it's for the first time or the ten thousandth time, look to Him. Remember and cling to the promises of His Word and the trustworthiness of His character. Recite those things to yourself. Recall them. Stamp them on your heart and on your mind. In his book, The Loveliness of Christ, Samuel Rutherford puts it this way. He says, Every day... Make more and more of Christ and test your growth in the grace of God. I am blessed by my rich Lord Jesus who does not send away beggars from His house empty. We might beg ourselves rich if we could but hold out withered hands to Christ and learn to seek, ask, and knock. Faith lives and spends upon our captain's account who is able to pay for all. And as believers, we must live that way. I love what he, what he says there, that we might beg ourselves rich if we would but hold out withered hands to Him. Just acknowledging our weakness 
Again, for the first time or for the 10,000th time. Going to him in faith. This is how we are to approach Jesus. And if you haven't looked to him in faith yet, I would encourage you to do that today. Don't wait. There's nothing more important in this life than trusting in Christ rather than in yourself. And trusting in yourself will only lead to misery. But trusting in Christ will lead to freedom and to eternal life. That, that has been the message of John's gospel. That's why the Apostle John is writing. He wants us to see and behold Jesus for all that he is as the Son of God sent to bring us into fellowship with God the Father. And this, this response of faith that we, that we see here uh, in uh, these, these people, we don't know where they, they came from, uh, they, they may have come from uh, Jerusalem in the south. They may have come from Galilee in the north. They may have been Jews. They may have been Gentiles. Uh, the, the emphasis here is upon their faith. Uh, but also, uh, they, they are intended to be a, a contrast to us. Right? Uh, because we have just seen huh, hard-heartedness. In the, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem... They have rejected Jesus. They, they have seen the miracles, heard the message, and they have come to the conclusion that Jesus is a blasphemer and worthy of death. But, but those who come to Jesus here in, in the wilderness of Perea, they're coming to him and they're coming to a completely different conclusion. Right? And they are, they are coming out because they want to genuinely know who He is. They, they are seeking the truth. And as they are seeking to, to arrive at uh, the truth about Jesus, they, they consider all of the testimony that they have received. They, they consider everything that they themselves have seen, everything that they themselves have heard. They consider everything that has been testified and prophesied about Jesus. And they come to the conclusion that He is the Son of God. He is who He says He is. He is who John the Baptist says He is. And they put their faith and their trust in Him, no longer relying upon themselves, but relying fully and completely, resting and receiving Christ. Again, each and every one of us must do the same. Uh, and the question is, are we willing to approach Jesus with these mindsets? Are we willing to approach genuinely wanting the truth? Or do we want the truth if it's helpful for us? Right? We, we want the truth if it doesn't convict us. Uh, if, it, if it says what I want it to say, I will receive it. But if it doesn't say what I want it to say, I'll reject it. Right? So those are the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But when we come willing to uh, yield all to Christ. We are transformed by faith in Him because Jesus saves through faith. So let us approach Jesus seeking the truth, considering the testimony, and then ultimately trusting in Him. Amen?